Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This episode was probably one of my favorites to record. Today we have our lore master Sam on the podcast. And let me tell you, the man has led a fascinating life. On the docket, we have Sam's frankly fantastic background before he got to Ember Sword, and then we move on to, you know, how he got to Ember Sword, what his vision for Ember Sword is, and then, as per usual, we get into his gaming history, what his favorite games are, and things of that nature. I truly believe this might be one of our finest episodes, so please enjoy. Well, uh, welcome to this wondrous space of sharing. This makes it sound like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Um, give, <laughs> would you please uh, state your name and uh, what you do for Ember Sword? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Sam Horton, uh, long form is Samuel Horton. I'm the director of story and franchise development for uh, uh, Bright Star Studios, which essentially amounts to me being the lead writer, you know, the lore master. Hell and the, yes. Yeah, the designer of the world. <laughs> Awesome. So um, let's start. Let's let's wind the clock back a bit. Um, give us your background. How did you get into gaming, into writing? Uh, <laughs> uh, how did I get into gaming? Uh, it's kind of like, uh, how did I get uh, toilet trained? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, uh, I've always played games for as long as I can remember. Uh, some of my earliest memories include uh, playing uh, Myst with my dad. He, that That's an old-time classic that was... The most popular PC game until The Sims back in the early 90s. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it just kind of... There's always a video game playing, you know, for me at our house. And, uh, and uh, you know, it just kind of snowballed and snowballed. And, and then, uh, you know, from there I, you know, got big into making levels for different uh, games you know i would really enjoy the ones that came with level editors such as load runner starcraft warcraft 3 etc and uh with the <laughs> com competitive gaming front you know uh, a lot of people from bright star come from competitive competitive backgrounds uh i was a big fan of the guild nihilum if which was a World Warcraft guild uh, back in the 2000s, going into the 2010s. And uh, I saw that there was a writer position available at some point after I saw, you know, after I had enjoyed them for a couple of years. And it was posted by this fellow called Mark. You know, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he went anywhere in life, but... <laughs> <laughs> Whatever happened uh, to Mark. <laughs> so, yeah, I... Uh, I uh, uh, put in an application and it just kind of snowballed uh, into that afterwards. You know, I was big into writing for Nihilum. I went to BlizzCon, met a bunch of the developers, write, wrote news articles. And then after Nihilum was shuttered, uh, I, you know, got to other esports organizations such as uh, SK Gaming, Nirvana, uh, Meet Your Makers, Evil Geniuses, and uh, Red Bull. And Wow. Yeah. Uh, ever since then, you know, it's just always like one foot into just this crazy world. And the other foot, you know, I have two feet, uh, in case anyone was wondering. Uh, the other foot uh, was uh, directly squared into game development because, you know, that love for world building, like uh, designing levels and all that, It, I, I just uh, decided to take it and run, you know, go to university and get a degree there. And so, yeah, that that's kind of how I got into everything. It, like a lifelong passion, just uh, 
yeah, like both the for design and for writing. And uh, at uh, at the University of uh, Idaho, I you know I was taking the classwork, but uh, the program there was in its infancy, the virtual technology and design program. And uh, you know I knew that the only way I could be competitive with people from DigiPen and whatnot, you know. Uh, art institutes, uh, especially geared for uh, video games, was to, you know, really, uh, like, learn on my own and uh, kind of get mentors outside of the classroom and also take professional opportunities where I could. And, you know, here I am about a decade later and I'm stuck with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> sort of circling the drain. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Gallows humor, sorry. Um... I'm I'm curious uh, before we move on to you know uh, actual Embracer related questioning, did you ever dabble in uh, tabletop role playing games? Curiously, <laughs> my uh, tabletop experience has largely come uh, after uh, after I got into the heavy video game development. I uh, it was during my junior and senior oh wait no senior and super senior <laughs> years at the University of Idaho that uh, I got into Pathfinder, which is essentially a parallel to Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, you know, it, maybe it, it's called the discount version of it. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> but, it's D&D 3.5, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and so tabletop gaming, it kind of came uh, with that, and uh, my wife, uh, you know, over the last few years, uh, I, I kind of met this hot chick, and I, you know, married her, <laughs> and, uh, like, we just... Uh, we just really enjoy board games at our house, and, mm -hmm. you know, it, it kind of came later in life, ironically. <laughs> yeah, because I'm just curious, because most of the people I've talked to on the more game design side of things, they seem to have, like, dabbled in some form of D&D and tabletop, so I was curious whether that extended to the actual narrative designer, and it's interesting to know that, you know, you, you sort of did it backwards, in a sense. Yeah, and, you know, uh, that's not to say that... Uh, you know, there haven't been forays into into uh, board games and a tabletop because, uh, you know, when uh, things were still heating up with Ember Sword before we were funded, I actually made a decent amount of money by designing and writing a number of uh, Monopoly-style video games, <laughs> board games, Ugh, oh. yikes, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> for uh, this company called Late for the Sky, and I think I... Uh, came up with about oh 36 uh, of those uh, and uh, about oh 12 God. have been yeah <laughs> 12 have been published to date and then uh, yeah uh, back in 2013 during uh, one of my final years at college I accidentally very accidentally uh, created a board game called Star Thieves which turned out to be insanely fun and uh, I have plans for that you know just that's kind of in the background you know Guys got got eat, so I'm not gonna. Yeah, you know. guys got eat. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you! You you are you're a pro at this. Already teasing things that should you know, they usually come at the end of the podcast. That that's smooth. So, um, <laughs> mo moving on. Uh, regrettably, although we can't cover this, I'm very interested in all of this. I I uh, I'm one of my very best friends is a creative writing major, and just hearing him talk, I I could do it for hours. Um, but in the interest of time, uh, let's move on to Ember Sword. So, how did you come to work on Ember Sword? Well, uh, I was, uh, you know, a, a lot of my career, a lot of my roots are into are in Hollywood, you know, uh, because oh, really? I, yeah, I uh, 
spent a few years uh, taking care of my brother. He was uh, poisoned, unfortunately, uh, and uh, like with a deathly cocktail. I don't know how he's still alive, but uh, I was help. I was medicating him for three years, and uh, you know, it just was not a proper time to have a proper sit-down job or even a video game development job. So, in lieu of that, I focused more on Hollywood, like developing my career there, because I had made a few. Uh, short films that had done well at film festivals. So I uh, focused on that, uh, wrote some awesome screenplays, if I may say so, and uh, was uh, and uh, got represented by a literary agent at Dramat Dramatic Artist Agency oh, down in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, they've been great for me, but uh, like this is leading somewhere, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm fascinated. Please keep going. Uh, I tried to get a horror film off the ground, but uh, I kind of, you know, rolled snake eyes because I found a couple of unscrupulous producers, you know, I found out about it a little too late, and, you know, it just, I, I was winded, I was knocked down, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna let the dust settle there, because, you know, whew, there was a lot of dust that was kicked up by those schmucks, and then uh, I decided to focus back on video games after a three-year hiatus, and I looked up what my old pal Mark was doing. You know, we hadn't spoken for about a decade, you know, since the Hillam, and I saw, you know, lo and behold, he had a game development studio, and uh, I saw, you know, that looked really cool. It was an MMO-based thing, and so I just wrote to him and, like, said hi, and, you know, like Forrest Gump and uh, Jenny, just with less <laughs> romance, we were like peas and carrots, and so, you know, I was brought on, like, within a few days as the person who would develop the lore, you know, be the chief writer, and, you know, here we are. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. And you're even making movie references. This this is this is rapidly becoming a special episode for me. <laughs> <laughs> sure is special. <laughs> <laughs> I did not mean that. I'm going to cancel. No. <laughs> cancel the podcast. <laughs> So, uh, in your capacity as our lead writer, what is your vision of Ember Sword? Oh, <laughs> I know that's a heavy question, but just you know, roll with it. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want people to. I want a lot of servers. I want every server to look different because this is largely a sandbox game. So, I want people to just basically have their big uh, like communities spread out around these four regions Solarwood, Duskron, uh, Ediso, Severand you know that's the chief thing because that's the player base and uh, at the same time I want everyone to just feel all welcome to be able to delve into our high-end content our raids our dungeons and our arenas you know I, I just want everyone to be engaged with what uh, we develop and most of all, I don't want anyone to feel like they're coming in with the expectation that they have to get into the lore or that it's going to be like not top heavy with lore. I want everyone to basically do what they want with Ember Sword. I don't want there to be any expectations, but if they want something, I want to be more than ready to provide for them. And, you know, that's my vision. So, so following up on that, uh, in saying that you want people to essentially discover the history and the story of Ember sort of their own pace. What is, what is your writing and design process like to accommodate for that? Well, uh, 
first of all, uh, there were few parameters when I uh, came aboard. Uh, the like person who came up with Ember Sword, uh, Sage, he uh, he had just a few like prerequisites, and then he said, other than that, you know, go at it. And uh, my process has been to have a story that is very different, you know, that it's its own thing, and uh, it's like, and not specifically stuck in one genre, but I want the story to also be something that, you know, is pieced together. It's heavily a mystery. That's that's the thing, is that Ember Sword is a mystery, the story is. So I basically, my process is to take that mystery to the back of my mind and uh, basically take the story and break it up. <laughs> I every, Everything, you know, was written initially as a 40 to 50 page uh, outline of the, the story as if it were a single player RPG, you know, that uh, were, you were to circle the the moon of Thanabus. Uh, and I took that and every step of the way I break it down and like if it looks like it's broken down enough, I break it down harder. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, because I want to be approached from most any angle. They're like, I'm not going to use the skin the cat reference because that's dark and I love cats. But uh, <laughs> I I want there to be, I I basically want it to be all open doors. But, you know, of course, you're, you're going to eventually get to the same conclusion with each region if you follow the story. And uh, so... Yeah, that's my process, is basically I take something that I would want ideally for myself, and then I break it uh, down because, of course, I don't want everyone to have the same experience that I have, like, and I think that I'm doing pretty well with that on, like, and the basis of that is that there's pretty much an equal distribution of uh, what people want from the game, like, where they want to play and what they want to find out, and I, I just love it because I have people who are already arguing about like, hey, I'm pro Severand, I'm pro Ediso, uh, and I'm am like, I've I've barely told you anything. I barely know what they. <laughs> no, that's a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> but uh, you know, I you know th that's why I love reading in the comments is people saying you know, like just having wildly different ideas, but then <laughs> you know because yeah, that that means that uh, everything is getting the proper amount of attention. This is incredibly reassuring to hear from the actual creator of the narrative because um, I can, I'm going to make a Destiny 2 reference like I do every podcast, but uh, what I really like about Destiny's approach to narrative is that it, it's, the uh, best way I can almost visualize it is a series of threads. You, you just wander around, you find a thread, and you start pulling it, and that thread leads into like, a bigger narrative right they all lead to the same place and i really like that that's that's the vibe i'm getting from ember sword you can pick up a lore thread and then you start reading up on that particular story and that sort of ties into the larger world and then you learn about the larger world and so on sort of a snowball effect yeah and i uh, i greatly respect destiny you know i have some very fond memories from six years back of playing the original uh, the the game the the, the story is uh, like it's not the best but you know there's a still a lot that people can enjoy from the game you know so i take that as a compliment <laughs> yeah the, no the story that was that is actually presented to you is kind of garbage the 
<laughs> the lore, the lore tabs, and the things that you actually sit down and read are masterfully written, and they're hidden way the heck in the game files. <laughs> yeah. So it's only it's only for the true erudites, I guess. <laughs> um, you did touch upon endgame content and raids, and we recently revealed the Ultra Deep. Um, what is uh, your yeah. <laughs> what was your process there like? What was like thinking of the Ultra Deep like? What was designing it like? Oh. <laughs> Okay, as, as a bit of a preface, this is kind of funny. Uh, the Ultra Deep was actually shelved for nearly two years. You know, we were actually thinking, okay, this is this is a big place. We'll never get around to this until after the game's release. So we'll just, yeah, we'll kind of just dodge around. But yeah, the, the Ultra Deep was um, conceptualized as uh, science gone mad. You know, it's a lab that has fallen out of... Burkhalter Academy's control, and now it's a highly dangerous place that, you know, just almost every bad thing, you know, if you, like, it's a, like, Friday the 13th, black cats, just bra broken mirror, all in one place, you know, just things have gone bad there. And uh, I conceptualized it with the, with the main story in mind, where it will loop in, and, uh, you know, it, it just, uh, as we've revisited it, as uh, it's uh, turned out that the investors actually <laughs> really like the idea of the <laughs> Ultra Deep, you know, it, it's 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 cool. And so I've revisited it, and it's uh, kind of developed its own narrative in itself, you know, where there's a story that's self-contained, and it's like, yeah, that, that story is, uh, like, uh, not in, not intrinsically linked up with the, the main plot that takes you there but uh you know it, it just is its uh, own pl it's its own thing and uh, it just i i suppose that the appeal is that uh, it's so different from the rest of burkhalter's and uh, solarwood in general because you have this nice serene forest where you know it's like okay are there gonna be like dancing bunnies and uh, raccoons in the forest it's like no down down below there's actually this <laughs> hellish <laughs> place where like uh you know these ghoulish urchidors and you know these uh monstrosities are <laughs> that are burning chrism <laughs> like crimson <laughs> like skin <laughs> and ash and rock Christ. like they are just ready to chew on your bones and it's just such a nice contrast to the rest of <laughs> the rest of that area and i think that is like the big appeal is that with everything you know with so much focus on solarwood we have something that goes very counter to solarwood while still being oh, a yeah. part of it yeah Definitely. so with uh, designing uh, the ultra deep uh, it like uh, I think that the primary thing to remember is that people, you know, who go there, they're they're likely going to like raids. They're they're probably going to want to visit it again and again. And so it's about making it, you know, where you can enter there and feel like, okay, I think I can take it on, but you also know you're going to have to work for it. And so, you know, the, the different creatures that are down there, uh, they have abilities that require strategy and uh, they're going to keep you on your toes. You can't just, you know, like dodge to the left and then strike, dodge to the left and strike. They're go they're going to have abilities that are going to trip you up and you have to, you know, be able to catch them when they're about to like like target your healer because they're like, "Hey, your healer is helping you. Maybe <laughs> maybe I should take that from you." You know, uh things like that. And also, I consider 
you know, positioning, like strategic positioning of uh, where mobs will patrol and whatnot, so you have to time things out correctly, or else, you know, you're going to get one too many uh, Hellgruffs uh, on your tail, and then it's like, okay, that's Raid Wipe. I, I see this coming already, and, uh, you know, yet there are also uh, doodads in the environment that uh, will aid you, or or they will aid uh, the enemy, because, uh, you know, if, if you're not careful with them, you know, lava burns, and <laughs> it, it, it is not selective. <laughs> yeah, glad some things are at least physically consistent with our yeah. um, I, I really, really appreciate, again, I've been saying this a lot, but I really appreciate this, this approach to design, because it reminds me of um, one of my favorite Shadowrun settings, uh, Shadowrun being the cyberpunk uh, tabletop role-playing game featuring magic, which is probably one of my favorite settings for any type of role-playing game ever. Um, I'm I'm really into the mystery of the monolith. Sort of, you see this ginormous building off in the horizon, and you're not certain what's in it and how big it is and what threats lurk inside. And the Ultra Deep is sort of like that, but you know, upside down. Sort of this this bottomless hellish pit holding untold secrets and even scarier horrors which um br brief tangent um there is a, a, a shadowrun module that is very reminiscent of this uh called the renraku arcology i believe it was called which um the the gist of it is there's a ginormous uh mayan tech pyramid in the middle of seattle in the 2050s and it's run by an ai and uh it's also a ginormous uh shopping center slash housing project with secret laboratories at the like subterranean level and one day the ai just like i think on christmas eve it shuts down it like locks the doors and 200,000 people are locked in there for two years and the adventure starts with the doors open and horror spew out and that's your starting off point as a dungeon master and that is terrifying to me yet also fantastic so getting the same vibes from the ultra deep is immensely awesome in my book <laughs> oh thank you that yeah that does sound awesome i haven't played it but it <laughs> sounds right up my alley you know like uh what that scenario just described it kind of runs counter to the dark knight rises where hey 60,000 cops they just got trapped underground and hey they just came out and they're ready to punch the bane and his and his henchmen you know into submission cool and they, they're all perfectly shaved <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah uh the the cool thing about the ultra deep is uh the stuff that uh, people have you know been teased about that is actually just one of I, I believe four stages of the ultra deep eat like uh, there are multiple stages that uh, will have different themes so it's it's still going to be underground laboratory you won't surprise go above but you know it's kind of like uh, you're going to delve deep into this orwellian horror and uh, each one is going to have its own theme like one of them for instance uh, it like you're going to face off against people who are down there, you know. Not every monster, you know, has fangs and claws. Sometimes, you know, they're, they'll be the Scooby-Doo villain after they take off the mask. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, because people, you know, people can be dicks. I'll just say oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, 
there's plenty more to be seen from the Ultra Deep, and, you know, I really hope that people enjoy, you know, the build-up and, you know, just also the sense of, like, the questing down there, because uh, that's a, that's a, an important part of it as well as that. Uh, you know, if you're a lore fanatic, you're gonna you're gonna find some quests down there. You're gonna have quests that will lead down there, and there will be at least one that uh, will start down there. Which, you know, that was kind of a, a fun little idea that we came up with, which was that uh, not everything is gonna be revealed above grounds. And that's a big difference, like between us and say uh, World of Warcraft, where quests are often not introduced in the actual dungeon because, you know. Why would they be? <laughs> and, it's, and we're here to answer that with, with the answer of uh, because it's different. It's interesting, you know? <laughs> oh, that is what I'd like to hear, absolutely. So, uh, we, can, we can save a whole bunch more of this conversation for a further, uh, a future podcast, um, which I would be very, very excited to do. <laughs> Just delve deep into different aspects of the lore uh, at your discretion, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, we are getting to the well. What I what I dub my favorite part of uh, these Meet the Team podcasts, where we dive into your gaming history a bit, the free balling section, as I like to call it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, with that in mind, what are your top five favorite games? Oh, okay. Uh, well, uh, I th like first of all, there. Uh, this is one that not like. People, I think, have seen, but they don't know the name of. It's called Genome, and it's by 7th Level. And uh, that was like, I don't know. Uh, you know how it feels when you put on the Oculus Rift for the first time? You know, yes. where it's like, okay, I just jumped to another dimension. That's yeah. how it felt yeah. when, in 1997, when I played Genome for the first time. I was like, oh, it's 3D. Like, I have big quotation marks around 3D. <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, is I I fell in love with a game like to a great extent. It was like I like I lusted after a, vi a video game for the first time. It was gorgeous. I could not get enough of it. And you know, I uh, actually uh, I actually uh, uh, got to know the people who created it as an adult. You know, oh, that's and awesome. Uh, awesome. and you know, <laughs> we uh, we we still talk to this day. You know, because it's like. I owe you my childhood, and <laughs> and that's kind of that's actually a running theme with my favorite video games. But I'll get more to that, you know, in, in just a second. <laughs> and um, oh, I, I should probably move on, or I could talk about Genome all day. <laughs> oh, please. Um, uh, another one is Dota Two, and uh, yeah, a uh, thing with that is I uh, got to know the. Uh, lead designer Ice Frog uh, during my senior year of high school, and we talked about design philosophy and whatnot. And it was a Warcraft 3 map back then. And, uh, you know, within, I don't know, uh, nine months at that point, uh, uh, Valve had hired him to create a sequel to create Dota 2. And there was something about it that just, like, I. I just love it. I I got to see a Cinderella story before my own eyes. You don't get to see that every day. I I mean Valve hasn't done that since then. I mean, but yeah. that was is gorgeous. Just seeing this beautiful Warcraft three map that was well re maintained by one person. You know, 
is as good as, you know, any big team, you know, any big studio. This guy was just handling it on his own, and I could just see it, you know, become something else. And, you know, I still talk to him to this day, and, you know, I'm happy and proud to know him. And, you know, he's still one of my favorite designers, and Dota 2 is a gorgeous game. It, it, it's merciless, and, you know, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you might need like get an alcohol addiction from the stress but <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> i i think a, a, i think a good descriptor of playing dota 2 is uh you're trying to perform brain surgery on someone while blindfolded while riding a horse <laughs> <laughs> and russians are screaming at you on top of that i had not thought of that but yes <laughs> you are the exception i swear to god <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, um, okay, uh, I, I, I gotta keep this going, of course. <laughs> um, uh, StarCraft 1 is another one of my top fives. I I was really, really wanting to love StarCraft 2, but, you know, it just did not hit me quite the same way, but it's still a beautiful game, and I'm happy for the people who love it. But StarCraft 1, I mean, good God, I, I just... Loved it from the get-go, and I didn't care if I lost or whatnot. I just kept on playing, and, you know, the map editor... Oh, yeah, you had the map editor, so <laughs> there's that bonus. But, you know, just perfectly balanced, just impeccable, and, you know, beautifully designed. I was, you know, just one of my all-time favorites is StarCraft. You know, enough said. <laughs> and, yeah, and then... Uh, Warcraft 3, especially the Frozen Throne. Oh, God, God that is a, you know, amazing game. Just another one that's beautifully balanced, you know? And, uh, yeah, I'm uh, just... Yeah, that, that one uh, just... Uh, like, that's where I kind of realized I could take uh, modding to a new level. And, of course, the game itself, you know, that's another thing. Just well-written and everything. It, is probably the last time that uh, Blizzard had a story in the game, you know, for people who like lore. It's the last time that there w that they had a story that did not get contrived, that did not become convoluted, and you know, start yo-yoing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody who is good friends with a lot of WoW fanatics, I completely feel your pain. Uh, it's it's it hasn't been good as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was merely a setback, <laughs> says every character. <laughs> I mean, now they have an expansion pack that is entirely a setback. Every character who's dead is now a ghost, and you get to play with them. And it's like, oh, guys, you, you've you really taken it somewhere. And I, nothing I'm not is sure sacred. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, oh, what was that fifth game? There, there's, a, there's a fifth game, of course, that I went to mention. Um Oh, oh, Halo 2. Halo yeah. 2, hell yes. Yes, yes. The The story is garbage. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Damn, not pulling any punches. Yeah, uh, but, oh, God, that, that multiplayer experience, you know, I just have to say multiplayer experience, and I think that everyone, like, I say that in LAN party, and I think that just a lot of people around their 30s, they just, their minds light up, and they're like, He's one of us. You know, it, it's uh, <laughs> everyone knows that experience. If you're a gamer who like who was you know adolescent or teen teenager during the mid two thousands, that was just uh, perfect. And yes, I did play the games on either side of it. 
Halo 1 has the great has a great story and the subsequent games yeah they have good uh, multiplayer but Halo 2 is just magical it was just a new is a new leap for uh, FPS you know I I just loved that game it's incredibly brave of you to say that because most people would say Halo 3 so that is that is definitely <laughs> an, an interesting uh it's an interesting opinion not not besmirching this sounds like i'm i'm pooping on your opinion <laughs> no, absolutely not i was a playstation <laughs> kid i still am eastern europe just sort of gravitated that way uh yeah so i know of the legend of halo through all of the youtube videos i have in country so <laughs> <laughs> i i definitely i it's weird that i have nostalgia for a thing i've never actually experienced but i completely understand that feeling yeah <laughs> So, uh, moving right along then, what is your longest gaming session? <clears throat> Halo 2. Uh, nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, consistently, there would be LAN parties every few weeks at a friend's house. Uh, like, my friend's dad uh, would host it. Uh, that we would stay up, like, I don't know, until three in the morning. And so, we'd, it was basically 12 to 14 hour like like <laughs> you know button mashing and <laughs> we always wanted more like yeah we were toxic we'd threaten each other and all that with and drink uh, mountain dew you know just bad stereotypes but we loved it we just it it was a community experience and just i even like would bring over my little tv so i could have a separate tv to play on you know like so they couldn't look at my screen no and, screen taking i on <laughs> I know they were on my team, hey, <laughs> but still. <laughs> yeah, so that is the easy answer, <laughs> Halo 2. <laughs> that, that is a satisfactory enough answer, believe you me. <laughs> Man, the lost art of split screen. Uh, I, I appreciate it. A lot of, a lot of the people have answered similarly with, with LAN parties, and I'm glad you're keeping the tradition going. It's it's almost a lost art at this point, and I'm, and I'm glad that people have a, a very fond remembrance of when that was a category, you know a regular occurrence uh, i guess speaking of fond gaming memories what would be your fondest gaming memory hmm uh hmm uh there are a couple like uh in in sixth grade the way i got introduced to starcraft was actually that uh my uh, sixth grade teacher uh Every Friday, he'd uh, host uh, a StarCraft club uh, after school, and uh, a bunch of us nerds, uh, like, we'd uh, we'd enjoy playing until, you know, like, 9 p.m., you know, so it was, it was, it was quite the investment, and uh, I just think that that collective memory through sixth grade was magical, and uh, there were also, uh, like, you know, on the professional front, uh, there was also a wonderful memory from... Uh, Tw 2012, where uh, I was uh, invited to the VIP section of uh, Notch's uh, party. Uh, he, he, like, was big into hosting those parties uh, with Mo Yang, uh, like, uh, when he was still as affiliated with them. And, uh, you know, it was just amazing, you know. I, I know this is not exactly, like, playing a game, but it's still gaming in my mind, yeah, of you course, know. Of course. I was sitting next to John Romero and, like, uh, like Ellen Ruskin from Valve, and you know, and uh, Jens Bergensen, you know, he was uh, he he's the lead designer of Minecraft, and then you know, I just like, and also Marcus Passion, uh, that's Notch, and we were just talking about everything, and it's like, I I didn't even register it at the time. I knew who they were, of course, but afterwards, it's like 
did I really just do that? Like, was I really just... And, you know, uh, and, uh, like, Dead Mouse was, like, having drinks next to me, and, you know, it's just insane. And it's like my entire life of gaming came together at one moment, like, for one night, and and uh, I just... I, I just uh, felt so privileged. And also, Avicii was uh, the guy who was DJing it, and, uh, you know... Like God rest his soul, you know. I got I got to experience that, you know, and uh, that that might be the best memory f with gaming. No one was playing a game because like, <laughs> put your tablet down. <laughs> this is a three million dollar party. But still, you know, it, that that might be the answer for just gaming it in general. That sounds surreal. That <laughs> it was. It's yeah. Wow. Well, this this is a. <laughs> This is a really ethereal note to end on, but those were all the questions I had for this episode of the podcast. But uh, for everybody who made it this far in what is now, I think, the longest and certainly, in my book, most fascinating episode of the Ember Sword podcast, uh, thank you. And we will, honest to God, have more to come because this is a topic that uh, is very near and dear to my heart. I'm, I assume it's near and dear to Sans as well, <laughs> given yeah, that absolutely. he created it. But yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and, and share. I, I really, Absolutely. really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a great pleasure. I just love being able to talk about this, and I hope that everyone's appreciated it as well. Awesome. Well, thank you, and we will see you guys next time. Hey, you. You made it to the end. Congratulations. That must mean you like us enough to want more, right? Well, good news. We're all over the internet. Go to embersword.com and subscribe to our newsletter for a chance to play the game early, as well as the latest interesting tidbits on the game and the team. Join our lovely Discord community over at discord.gg slash embersword. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at PlayEmbersword for regular updates on what we're up to. And remember the basics. Drink water, be kind to each other, and spread the word about Embersword.